0: Welcome, pop cultural osmosis i'm kyle Diaz.
1: and i'm ryan harrington
0: and our uh, opening segment today is least favorite film and tv trope um so we didn't really talk a lot about this beforehand ryan i I didn't like look up the page for this on tv tropes or anything because visiting tv tropes is a way to find yourself an almost certain death by starvation um (laughs) But (laughs) I was just interested to hear, you know, what what do you see when you see it in a film? It just makes you sigh or, like, you know, kind of roll your eyes in exasperation of just your your least favorite uh, well that that writers visit to regularly. Um, So why don't you you kick us off with your least favorite uh, trope from from film or TV?
1: I think my least favorite trope, and I think part of it is because uh, I studied chemistry in college, but I really hate... I really hate um chloroform as like this sort of uh, knockout uh <laughs> reagent, I don't know. Mhm. Like because that does not work at all.
2: Mhm. And <laughs>
0: really to, to explain this further, I I never I have always just taken uh film and TV's word for it that if you have a rag so the chlor- chloroform you're basically like unconscious immediately.
1: I don't exactly know where it first started, and I don't know why, Um, but like chloroform won't do that. Um, Like, uh, if you inhaled chloroform vapors continuously for like I don't know five, ten minutes, Mm -hmm. you'd get really dizzy and disoriented and whatever. But that's just because you know you're suffocating your brain of oxygen, Mm -hmm. like huffing almost anything else. Yeah. Um it will not and that's again that's like five ten minutes. So can you imagine watching a video clip of, like a kidnapper just holding this rag over someone's <laughs> face for just like five minutes, just like it's okay, it's okay, <laughs>
0: So you think it's just like maybe like one like ignorant Hardy Boys uh author or something like back in nineteen fifty five made this up and everyone else is just
1: copying it? I, I guess um I mean, it's... Because there's really... There's really nothing that is that fast acting. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no, like, knockout gas like you see in, like, those military... Or, like, pseudo-military sci-fi movies or whatever. Mm -hmm. They throw a canister in and, like, all the guards fall unconscious. Mm -hmm. There's not... Like, those things don't really exist. Like, anytime I see that trope of just those sort of instant... Um, knockout things like I don't know it drives me crazy because it just keeps perpetuating this idea that get away with that I mean like that it it exists mm-hmm. and so like and when I tell people like chloroform doesn't do that they ask like oh well then what does it's like maybe nothing
0: like ether I guess maybe
1: ether ether is similar it will it's faster working it will get you high mm-hmm. but it won't really like knock you out mm-hmm like, uh, again, like, if you inhale enough of it over a while, mm-hmm. yeah, you'll probably pass out, but, again, that's more like, I think, oxygen starvation than anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, anesthesiologists have a very hard job. Like, if you could just <laughs> soak a rag in something and hold it over someone's mouth, like, their jobs would be much easier. <laughs>
2: true (laughs) true
0: (laughs) i that will probably bother me from now on but it did also give me one of my favorite scenes of tv of all time which is when uh abed annie and uh troy are repeatedly chloroforming that poor guard in that episode of community Um, oh so i can't really be too mad about it (laughs) because uh
1: that that's an amazing scene
2: oh my god i didn't
1: know what to do oh my god i usually have one foot out of reality and even i'm freaking out right now
2: you chloroformed the janitor stop yelling at me you're the ones that got caught you're the one who was yelling we're in big trouble we have to do something god, i don't know <laughs> what to do my whole brain is crying <laughs> uh,
0: well that's it that's a uh that's a good uh a good pick that's much more specific than mine i i it's funny we went to like really different places with this um but uh, I did not uh, go quite so specific. My least favorite uh, TV and and film trope is the plot twist, which is like a pretty big, <laughs> big scale oh, that's, thing.
1: That's pretty ge- generic.
0: Uh-huh, it's pretty generic, but I will argue that I think that um, that uh, Hollywood in particular's obsession with the plot twist or the surprise <laughs> reveal, maybe is a better word for it, um, is like really super damaging and and makes films like really weak and annoying. Um I think ever since like the 6th sense like, some films do this okay you know we talked about you know the end scene of Planet of the Apes which is obviously pretty iconic um 6th sense legitimately did it pretty well um uh but uh in a lot of cases anytime when you have like a sudden surprise twist and they and it kind of comes out of nowhere and blindsides you like I think that that is almost always like really uh, dramatically weak um and it almost always requires uh, the writers to give up the, like, very concept of dramatic irony, which is when, you know, the audience knows something that the characters don't, and it can be really powerful, uh, right. like, narrative tool. Um, and I see films all the time where they, like, they haven't taken the time to lay the groundwork, and they think they can just throw it in there. that like, oh, it's his sister, or like, uh, oh, he knew it all along, or he was a bad guy all along. And it just, it has, it lands with, like, absolutely no impact, because... They haven't, like, by uh, putting so much secrecy around, you know, what's actually going on, like they have failed to, to actually uh, set up the the situation in any way, shape, or form. Um, and I think even even the film that we're going to talk about today, which I quite liked, Captain America Two, um, has a little bit of this where they wanted it so they wanted so much for it to be a surprise that I guess spoiler alerts for the film that we're going to discuss in a few minutes. Um, they wanted so much for it to be a surprise that the Winter Soldier was Bucky Barnes, that they, um, like, it, spend a, a lot of the film, it, it, they don't lay the groundwork for it. And so it had, it, in, at least in the, the showing that I have, in, in my experience, like, it was not uh, a very impactful moment because everyone was just kind of like, who? Like, what's going on? Oh, um-hmm. It, that's interesting. I guess how does that really work? And then, you know, just kind of went
1: I mean I guess we'll talk about it more then, but I didn't think like well we'll just talk about it then. Okay.
0: Anyway, I I am done with plot twists. I think they're usually uh you know they usually are are, are are a pretty weak way to generate drama and I wish that uh Hollywood was not so obsessed with them in the in the years after uh you know after the success, I guess.
1: I Guess it's sort of a plot twist, but back when we were talking about Star Trek Into Darkness and Iron Man Three, um, like how J.J. Abrams spent so much time and money—I mean, I don't know if he spent time and money—but there was just so much work to conceal, um, the uh... Khan's cons identity. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if that's so much a plot twist but as like sort of a meta plot twist
0: yeah but it it, like because uh, there was almost no impact in the in the film when he was like i'm khan because like the film had not taken any time to like tell anyone who khan is so it relied so much on your kind of like meta knowledge uh that it like totally destroyed like its own dramatic uh impact you know what i mean
1: Right. and then, and I th- also think at this, and we talked about this before. At the same time, like people, like, were basically expecting it, and I think they were put into like I feel like it was put into a position where, if that's not what happened, people would have been really disappointed, mm-hmm. and no matter what else they did, it would have fallen really flat. Mm-hmm. And but since you were expecting it, it didn't have any sort of resonance.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So it was kind of a lose lose situation there
0: yeah 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 i don't know like when it when it works it works but i I feel like a a lot of the time like well in one of the worst examples of this is actually the john carter movie which like nobody saw but me so it probably doesn't even really (laughs) matter but like (laughs) john carter did this like multiple times where they would be like and oh my god you will never believe what's going on and then but like because i hadn't done the groundwork earlier in the film like what either the reveals like there was one reveal where they like revealed that somebody that his like wife was dead or something, and like you had not even known that he had a wife before he was like "My wife is dead, so like it did not make any sense like he there was no impact to be had and then at the very end of the film, you find out that he's been doing all of this stuff in secret like off screen that you don't get to see, and so then he's like and look at my brilliant plan all of which happened off screen which you did not get to understand or see because it was all happening over here and it's just really annoying because it's like this is not as this is just a, not a plot twist like you just did a bunch of shit without telling us like <laughs> it's not fair so
1: um i think also honorable mention should go to i don't and like i can't tell um i almost picked like the super ridiculous um computer tech stuff they do on TV. Oh, uh,
0: like on... Uh, like on uh, NCIS is the worst offender. Yeah.
1: What, like, yeah, whatever. Like, And I've read, like, people... Like, the writers write it to be ridiculous mm-hmm. as sort of, like, this in-joke to see who could out-ridiculous each other. <laughs> but at the same time, I just feel like it's creating this false sense of what technology can do mm-hmm. in the real world because people... See it on TV. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Well, that it drives you know, me crazy.
0: It, it it has it goes along with this idea that like no one actually knows what hacking is or you know, it's it's not typing on a keyboard really loudly, no, like basically, really quickly. Like these days, 95 percent of hacking is like calling the right people and being like, hi, I forgot my password, but I know my date of birth. Can you give me like my and then you know the whatever information they give you and then use that to call somebody else and say like. You know, I've got the last four digits in my social, but, like, I don't have my... And then, like, eventually, you'll get into someone's email and destroy their whole lives. Like, that's how it works these days. <laughs> it does yeah. not like typing really fast on a computer. Um, I, I almost chose also uh, what... Uh, it, it's like a subset of what Ebert famously called the idiot plot, which is the plot that only works because everyone's an idiot. Um and there's got to be a name for this, but I'm not sure where it is. It's where the whole plot would fall apart if one person just said something to one other person... But for whatever reason, they don't say it, even if it's something really, really crazy. Like, if I got chased today by a guy with a gun down the street who was shooting at me, and then, like, 10 minutes later, I met up with you with a beer, for a beer, like, I would immediately say, you'll never guess what crazy shit happened to me today. This guy chased me down the street with a gun. You know what I mean? But, like, there's whole movies where the entire plot hinges on the fact that when I get to that bar and, like, sit down, I'm just like, hey, man, what's up? Like, let's talk about something else. <laughs> right. But I couldn't think of any good examples of it.
1: Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. He's a ghost. You'll never find him. shield to protect people.
2: Captain, to build a better world sometimes means tearing the old one down. That makes enemies.
0: So, uh, Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier, is our uh, kind of main topic for the day today. Um,
1: and it's sort a- of the first big movie out this year, yeah?
0: Yeah, like it's been a It's been a good year for movies, but also, like, an interesting year for movies. Like, there's been surprise hits and, like, little indie things that have kind of made a splash here, but the only other really big film of the year I can think of is the Lego film. Uh, Sure. Or the Lego movie. Um... But it's kind of a 1st summer blockbuster, and we talked not that many episodes ago, though it was like six months ago, but it was only like four episodes ago, about uh, (laughs) Thor 2. Um, And we've been kind of following, I I would say with interest, the kind of Marvel saga, as they've been adding films uh, over the last couple of years. Um, I think this is another, unsurprisingly, really solid entry. A really great film, like... uh, kind of builds on the first one, but is also totally different in terms of tone and style and stuff like that, um, and really just a... I just really enjoyed the film. I, I had no real complaints. It makes me, like, slightly suspicious that Marvel's having such a good run. Like, I I keep waiting for them to release something that's, like, not really that great, but they've actually just been getting better for, like, quite a long time.
1: I know. The Winter Soldier was incredibly strong, incredibly tight. Mm-hmm. Like like 95% of it can i would can stand alone i think mm-hmm. outside like without of the without the rest of the series With yeah without without even the first captain america i mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. yeah um, as long as you have an idea of who captain america is mm-hmm. like i think like much more so than iron man 3 which was i think a very good film but very reliant on having an understanding of what happened in the rest of the universe in the, in the past.
0: And it kind of makes sense because Captain America is like a, just a simpler superhero. You know, his backstory is like not really that complicated. Like he himself, he, you know, he doesn't have like an arc reactor in his chest that keeps the uh, splinters from whatever. Like he's just a really strong dude. He has got a shield. He throws it and he's, uh, you know, American. Like <laughs> He's American. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do think that's something that's, uh, that's important about the film is that... He, You know, I've seen some people, there was a really dumb article that I actually really hated that was like uh, Captain America needs to be like more anti-hero-ish, like he's too boring and bland the way he is. I like totally disagree. I think Captain America is awesome the way he is because he is unimpeachable. He is morally upstanding. And he's like, the whole world around him may be corrupt. He may be betrayed by people who he cared about or whatever. But Captain America himself is uncorruptible. And I liked that.
1: Uh, and that was, that's an important theme in this movie, you know, comparing him to the rest of the S.H.I.E.L.D. espionage agency, mm-hmm. which seems very opposite to, you know, his ideals of being like, you know, sort of a like the flag bearer mm-hmm. and symbol of America, whereas S.H.I.E.L.D. is sort of, you know, in the shadows. Mm-hmm counterintelligence stuff
0: i do think that it's interesting because i do think that this film stands really you know, kind of on its own in terms of you know it, it doesn't necessarily need as much in-depth information about what the rest of the uh series has been doing as as other films do um but at the same time it kind of explodes a lot of elements of this kind of marvel universe so you know over the course of the film we find that the secret Nazi organization from the first Captain America, Hydra, um, not only did not fall with uh, the Third Reich, but also it has kind of inserted itself into S.H.I.E.L.D. and into all these areas of American power. Um, and uh, at the end of the movie, Captain America ends up kind of destroying the entire, you know, kind of uh, cutting the head off the entire organization. And S.H.I.E.L.D. as a whole unit is kind of disbanded and thrown into disarray and... Um, I just thought it was really, really well done how they were able to both have this be an exciting movie with a self-contained story where he's, you know, he's trying to figure out who the Winter Soldier is. He's trying to figure out, you know, what's happening with these helicarriers and and solve the mystery of the kind of uh, the MacGuffin USB key. Um, And at the same time, laying so much groundwork for future films and TV series and stuff that are now going to take place in a very different world.
1: Right. Um. Um. And I mean I don't think you're still watching Agents of Shield, are you?
0: No, I haven't I'm not, I'm not caught up at all.
1: But they have done an incredible job um sinking uh the world of Agents of Shield and the events of Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um I like I like during the winter I was very frustrated like it would go on break and then they would show one episode, and then it would go on another, like, four-week break, and then would show one more episode. And it was driving me crazy.
0: You're like, what's going on? I can't figure out when I can watch the show.
1: Yeah, but, like, now that it, like, the, like, the uh, uh, reveal that you, quote-unquote, hate so much that happened in, like, the episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that coincided with when Captain America came out was just amazing.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, The pair, like how how well they synergized was a great experience for a fan.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I'll have to catch up because that sounds really uh really fascinating. And it's only going to continue as, you know, they release more and more films because we've got Guardians of the Galaxy this year and then Ant-Man and uh Avengers uh, 2, I think, next year, right? Age, Age of Ultron, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've I think got that's I mean there's got to be we're gonna gonna have a lot of films and you know we i think i've expressed my amazement at the whole marvel cinematic world strategy before but it really is kind of mind-blowing that they've been able to kind of manage this tightrope walk and and pull all this stuff off i read the other day that kevin Feige, the uh the director of marvel uh cinema studio uh, he's got it all planned out until like 2028 like which movies are going to come out and which villains they're going to feature and all that kind of stuff um which is if you think about two movies a year for the next 15 years that means he's got at least an idea where they're going to be for the next 30 to 35 films that's absolutely insane
1: that that is really crazy um
0: but uh also also kind of super exciting
1: um i mean it like the fact that they've had the structures worked very well for like a a cohesive structure throughout all these movies worked very well for them up till now. Mm -hmm. So I can, I, I can't see why it wouldn't continue down that way.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Um, But this is a fun movie just on its merits. We can talk a little bit more about like the film in particular. Um, Some things I liked about the movie. um, The cast continues to do a great job. I really liked newcomer Anthony Mackie, Anthony Mackie as uh, the Falcon. Uh, Oh yeah. Scarlett Johansson continues to be more impressive than the role is even really worth as a Black Widow. Um, and those three, it, it, with Chris Evans, who plays Captain America, they have, like, really great rapport. Like, they really seem like friends and, like, they like each other and are just hanging out and, and, uh, and having a good time. I, I like that. The, their interactions are very kind of easy and natural.
1: Um, I was really impressed with the uh, chemistry and the dialogue mm-hmm. between them. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I... I had been hesitant. I was kind of hesitant because it's. I love Joss Whedon. It's hard to live up to his expect like the bar he sets for writing dialogue mm-hmm. and, and like interpersonal in- interactions. But they did a really great job with this. Mm-hmm. Like, there were funny, sharp, witty moments um, to contrast, you know, the crazy action stuff. Mm hmm.
0: And there's, you know, it's just there's some, like, legitimately funny scenes as well. Like, I really love this scene where Black Widow and uh, Captain America go to, like, an Apple store because they need a public place to plug in their USB key to kind of try to decrypt what's on it. So they're, like, trying to be helped by this, like, you know, you know semi-helpful, I'm a Mac dude who's, <laughs> like, <laughs> doesn't not understand who he's talking to, um, uh... But yeah, I agree this the script was super sharp and uh, it did the, it did a nice thing where it managed to be kind of relevant like they I don't know whether they knew that kind of privacy and the excesses of government in terms of uh, spying and stuff were gonna be such a hot button issue when this film came out. Um, but they did a really nice job like aligning with the zeitgeist or whatever um, kind of speaking to. I think conversations and fears that people are actually legitimately having about the NSA, even if I don't think the NSA is building three giant helicarriers that can kill <laughs> people at once.
1: I would really hope not. I would really hope
0: not to that. It does not seem like they're qualified to, to pull that off. No. Um, Nick Fury, quite the badass in this movie. Samuel L. Jackson uh, oh. actually gets something to
1: do. A, a much bigger role for uh, Samuel L. Jackson. And it was amazing.
0: <laughs> he has a really, really great car chase. Like, uh, one of the things I liked about this movie is that the stakes are a lot smaller than in other
1: films that we've seen.
0: You
2: know...
1: They are, but they feel more urgent.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and they do a good job. There's, like, this... There's this thing that happens with series, with, you know, with continuing series, where it's, like, the law of escalating stakes, where, like, if the the person... each each crisis always has to be bigger than the crisis that just happened um so i think you see this a lot in the james bond series where like in the beginning films of the james bond series he's like trying to track down like diamond smugglers and then eventually, like the villains and stuff, they get more and more and more outlandish until eventually, like not a f- single film goes by where James Bond is not trying to stop someone who's trying to blow up the entire world or irradiate the world's whole supply of gold or whatever. Oh, yeah, you know, they're trying to do. What ridiculous. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> and then and then they had to kind of reset it. And in Casino Royale, they had to say, you know what? He's just he's playing poker game, and this guy does have some bad plans, but they're bad plans that are going to impact like it's small stakes we gotta focus on like small stakes because smaller stakes does not mean less drama it just means that uh the stakes are smaller so like it it, it you know we don't have to it, it, we care about liam neeson in the taken films even though he's just trying to save one person he's not trying to save the entire world it doesn't make him any less of a hero um so i liked that in this film you know, there aren't any big battles where, like, you know, three-quarters of a city is being destroyed by alien monsters or, um, you, you know, as has happened in several of the films. Um, and there's no, like, giant thing. There are the helicopter carriers do go down, but they go down, you know, in the water. Uh, right. And uh, it's really more, it's much more personal. It's about, you know, 10 people chasing uh, Nick Fury in, in the... In the car chase scene, which is really, really super well done, like really thrilling car chase. Um, it's about uh, you know Cap in uh, the elevator with you know twelve big dudes, um, which is another just really amazing scene with with great fight choreography. Um, it, I don't know. It feels it felt much more personal, but I I think you're right that that doesn't make it feel smaller or less intense. It just means that from an intellectual level, the stakes are smaller.
1: Right, and I mean, it makes. It makes a certain amount of sense. Captain America is not Iron Man like we were talking Mm -hmm. about. He doesn't have all of that power. Mm -hmm. And so you have to shift your focus, and they do that incredibly well.
0: Oh, 24 is my other example for the law of escalating crises, where, like, in the first season, he's just trying to, like, rescue his daughter or, like, stop the president from being assassinated. But, like, by the fourth season, like, seven nukes go off in the first, like, five hours or something like that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, like that poison gas is released really, like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to watch that new 24 season that's coming out? Probably. I mean, let's
0: be honest. Like 24, I I almost, I for some reason I only ever watched like the first like 7 hours of 24, but uh, I'll probably watch it.
1: Uh, it yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah. I think 24 would be way better if it was called 12 instead. <laughs> Because it just gets really wearisome by, like, hour 9 or 10.
1: Well, yeah, like, this season is not, this new season is not going to be a full 24, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: No, I'm not sure. I'm not, I haven't read much about it. Is it not going to be a full 24? But they're still going to call it 24?
1: I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a full twenty. I don't remember. That's weird. Because I thought, I thought it was supposed to be, like, uh, not, a, not a fall mm. release either. I don't remember. Interesting. It's been a while since I read anything about it. Yeah
0: um so yeah anyway the stakes are smaller but that's a good thing um and uh allows for a, a little bit of of urgency in the situation um I, I liked when uh you kind of uh, about halfway through the film you get the sense that like shit's starting to go like really badly um nick fury is uh missing presumed dead uh cap is on the run um with black widow like you you know he 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 doesn't know who to trust um and one of the things that that really occurred to me when i was watching that that i think is really interesting is um it's not hard for batman or superman or normal superheroes to go on the run because nobody knows who they are or what they look like and i think it's really interesting that the whole marvel cinematic universe every single character as far as i can tell banner stark uh in uh, captain america thor like they've they've really given up the uh, idea of the alter ego, um, which has been a pretty huge thing in most comic book movies so far. So I, I just think it's really interesting that, like, you know, when when Cap goes out and he wants to, like, run uh, around the, you know, the track at the National Monument or wherever he was at the beginning when he's like, on your left, on your left. <laughs> um, like, people know him. They yeah. recognize him. They know who he is. Like, it's just... It's really fascinating to me and it really kind of, you know, kind of shows you that uh, they're kind of uh, going into uncharted territories here. Because I can't remember another film, like, that wasn't in this particular movie series where, like, um, the the alter ego was not a secret. Um, right. And the people were not only was their identity public, but, like, everyone knew them. Uh-huh. And that was a big deal when Iron Man, you know, in the end of the first Iron Man movie, he was like, I'm Iron Man, and, like, basically exploded, like, this secret alter ego. But we've gotten to a point now where that's actually true of all of the heroes in this
1: whole universe. Actually, yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I doubt they'll ever tackle this, because I think there's way too much crossover, but there was a really... Big and really well done um, arc in the Marvel Comics history about um, it's like the Mutant Registration Act arc, mm-hmm. where there's like this government legislation pushing for all superheroes to, you know, register mm-hmm. their secret identity, and it sort of divides the superhero uh, population on the two sides,
0: like uh, The Incredibles.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> but well, but they they weren't really they weren't really revealed, right? They were just all no, like retired. True. The, and the government,
0: the government knew who they are and like relocated them, I guess, and gave them new jobs and identities and stuff. But they didn't have to go out in public and say who they were.
1: Anyways, Anyways. this is a small side note. Yeah. Um, oh, one interesting thing like you you are not super well versed in um like the Marvel comic lore, right? No, not at all. Um and I'm not either since I didn't read a lot of comics, but mm-hmm. I but like I have a superficial knowledge and then like I will spend some time researching and I think it's really interesting that like um i noticed in this movie they name drop a lot of like characters and
0: well dr strange right doesn't the guy on the roof say something about dr strange oh does he
1: i don't remember yeah they uh, well, what's his
0: name sitwell when he's on the roof he's like babbling when they're gonna you know after after he's gotten thrown off and falcons grabbed him and brought him back up he says like i, I read this in like you know, eight things you might have missed in Captain America 2. He said something about Stephen Strange, which I think is Doctor Strange's real
1: name. Uh, okay. But, like, so... But, like, they named up a lot of things, but they change it in this movie? Mm-hmm. So, like, um... In this movie, uh, Captain America is working with, um... Uh, the, the strike team, right? Uh-huh. Um, and so, in, in the original... Marvel Universe Strike is like sort of like Shield, except based in the UK. Oh, interesting. So they're like a, they're like the same but separate organization. And so, um, and like um, uh, the the main Strike guy, who is sort of like um, the antagonist for Captain America, like that um, that agent that mm-hmm. he originally works with, is supposedly his friend, is, uh, what's his name? Uh, Brock Rumlow. Brock Rumlow. <laughs> but who in the comics is also known as Crossbones, who is a, uh, you know, a villain that worked under Red Skull.
0: Ah, uh, interesting.
1: And like, so, like, I think it's... Interesting that they're like name dropping all of these people. Oh, and even like that, even like the uh, the mer- the French mercenary guy. Mm-hmm. They fight on on that boat in the beginning. Like yeah. he is another. That was a great fight. He's another character in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it's really funny. They call they called him like. Uh, his creator described him as Jean Claude Van Damme before. Jean-Claude Van Damme existed, because his whole <laughs> shtick was, um, like, uh... Martial arts. L- Leap-kicking.
0: Oh, got it. <laughs>
1: when did he do the split? <laughs> I guess, I guess my, like, what leaves me, uh, kind of confused is, like, there are people, like, like, uh, that will not get these subtle references. Mm-hmm. That they'll that if they name him like Agent Rumlow, that people won't be like, oh, that's actually you know Crossbones, uh-huh. and and then there are people that will get this, and they'll be like, well, that's not actually how Crossbones is in the comics. Um, actually,
0: he so it's like for the um, British, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
1: know exactly. That was my attempt at the comic book guy's voice. It's a really weird thing that they did where like they're like hey look nudge nudge look at what we did but then it's like completely like completely wrong and it doesn't really change anything Mm -hmm. but I just don't see who that's really for or what what it really does
0: I think it's a little bit brilliant though because I think that one of the things that um, Marvel has decided from the beginning is that they're not gonna be tied to the comic book canon which I think makes fans mad because it means that all of their knowledge is like for nothing so like You can have read, you know, all of the issues of like Ultimate Avengers numbers one through 97. It doesn't matter because you still don't know what's going to happen anymore than someone who only knows about this, like from the film world. Um, Right. And so I think it makes makes the the true geeks kind of mad because they're like, hey, like, why did I spend all this time? like getting all of this knowledge into my head, if you're just going to like invalidate it, but it means that they can actually like surprise you and do whatever the hell they want to. And they, you know, it's not just like, you know, a boring experience for anybody. And I think the, the greatest example of that is the Mandarin in Iron Man three, which we talked about how much I loved that, uh, the way that they handled that character in in that film. Um, but, um, they, uh, they really kind of do it, uh, all over the place and so i think that these little in jokes are just like they're, they're nudging winks to the to that geek audience which is like hey you know we respect you like we're not gonna like do anything to make your lives you know more enjoyable by putting the things in this film that you want but you know we'll we'll throw you a little bit of a bone and i think people probably do like you know that little thrill that they get it means that their all of their knowledge was not just for nothing when they can be like ah this guy um is is you know it, and uh i don't know i i kind of thought about that too in in respect to jasper sitwell who plays a slightly bigger role in this film than he has in other films he's just a random dude who works for shield um i do not remember him at all from any of the other films but in this film he turns out to like be kind of important so it's like a little bit of a if you've been paying attention here's your reward you know who the heck (laughs) this guy is and, and why he knows things that would make him a target or whatever I quite liked the kind of '70s thriller aspect of it. I think it's an interesting place to take, like the superhero genre, that it hasn't been before. Um, I really liked Robert Redford as the kind of suave oh, yeah. but dangerous leader of. He wasn't the leader of Shield. He was like the. He, oh, he was
1: no. He was like. Something. He was like on like some sort of joint UN council. That, oh yeah. That like worked that like oversaw Shield's actions or something Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't Um, know how to I don't know how to describe it
0: (laughs) he's quite good as the like you know suave again suave but dangerous yeah Um, and and I just think that uh, we've talked about this a couple times but all of the choreography is just really really great and I think it's so interesting that this was directed by Joe and Anthony Russo um, who came from TV and have done almost nothing Like, I think that it must speak to either the vision of the folks at Marvel or the support structure that they've got in place. They can take a group of people whose only other film credits are basically you, me, and Dupree and, (laughs) like, turn them into, like, a pair that can actually make a big budget action movie because they'd shown, like, little hints of this. They uh, did one of the um, paintball episodes of uh, Community which is like, you know, action-esque or or kind of plays on action tropes, but like there's still just such a huge decision between or, I'm not not decision, a huge chasm between something like that and something like Captain America 2, which is you know, in, in the modern style of an action film has tons of CGI and choreography and things that need to happen and and they obviously took their responsibilities very seriously. Um I have a feeling they storyboarded the hell out of almost everything. Um, and they kind of avoided a lot of the things that actually plague modern action thrillers. And they did a lot of modern action thriller stuff better than like people who have been doing this for a long time.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Um, I was super impressed. I think this movie features some of the most exciting action scenes. And again, a, a really super exciting car chase um, and they manage to keep it intelligible all the time. There's none of this where you don't really know what's going on. People are flying around, things are getting thrown, punched, or whatever. Like you always know exactly who, you know, where everybody is, what the stakes are, what they're trying to do, who's trying to stop them, everything like that. Um, even when the kind of action is split between a couple of places, like in the ending scene where, you know, Cap is on the helicarrier and someone else is with Pierce, the creepy nsa figure in the thing and someone else is you know flying around with his like jetpack suit um which is going to be a big impediment to the falcon as his own superhero by the way if anyone can just shoot his little uh backpack and then he just goes down he's got to get something better
1: you know um how many movies that he's been uh contracted to be in
0: i hope it's a lot because he was pretty awesome um but i do not know
1: well because i know like um Sebastian Sand, who plays uh, Bucky, mm-hmm. he's he's like a total. He's supposed to be in like a total of nine movies. Oh wow! Um, including like the two he's done.
0: Interesting. So he's got seven more movies. That's a lot of movies. But yeah. y- they do bring some people back just for a quick glance or a little, uh, you know, just something small.
1: Um, That's true. That's true. Oh, and then but here's the other thing. Like so. Do you think it was supposed to be, like, a a quote-unquote surprise that Bucky Barnes was the Winter Soldier?
0: Yes, I think that that was definitely supposed to be a surprise reveal that nobody knew. Okay. Because why else would they have covered his face for, like, three-quarters of the film and had him grow his hair way out and stuff?
1: I guess, I mean... You think everybody knew? Like, I I, I knew going in, because I just know Bucky Barnes is the Winter Soldier, just like I know you know, Tony Stark is Iron Man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I just, it was just like knowledge, Mm. uh, like trivia knowledge that I had. And so
0: that's one of the only like areas where I was a little bit disappointed in how they handled that. Like I mentioned earlier, like I think they, first of all, they didn't do the groundwork in the first film. Like
1: I didn't in the first film. Oh, I I think we, I think we talked about this Mm -hmm. when it came out. Like, yeah, I like, I really did not like that death scene. Yeah,
0: and in, in general, like their relationship just seemed more like based on jealousy, especially toward the end of the film than anything else. Like I think it would have been stronger if they'd have cut all that crap about how Bucky was like jealous that Cap was like all strong and stuff now. And like had them die like seeming like they were actually friends. Because I feel like at the time that Bucky died, like they did not seem like friends anymore. Um Right. So it just it kinda robbed it of a lot of the resonance for me. And and I could have I could have used I know that he went to the like uh I know that he went to the like exhibition or whatever about the screaming what are they called? Uh Commandos or something.
1: Something like that. Yeah.
0: Um, at the Smithsonian and he's he saw like pictures of his old squad and stuff. But I could have used a little bit more of a reminder in this film early in this film about Bucky and like, you know, kind of a a reminder of what the stakes really are. Like he could have talked about Bucky when he went to see Becky. What is that Becky? Is that her name? Uh Carter. Peggy? oh peggy peggy um or or just just something to give us some kind of impact because i feel like they were like he was like you know bucky and then like the whole theater was just like huh like what's going on (laughs) i don't understand like who these people are what's happening um
1: i i mean i think because i wasn't like i knew that already mm -hmm. and it was to me to me it didn't seem like it was supposed to be a a twi- like a, a twist or a reveal, mm-hmm. like, I didn't really care.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So,
1: like, like I, I can understand where, like, I agree that there was not a lot of setup to make that a, a reveal mm-hmm. or have any sort of emotional impact. Mm-hmm. Um, where, if you think that it was that it was supposed to do that, you, like, I understand you feeling cheated. But because I was completely expecting that, like, I, I think that any sort of setup to it Mm -hmm. would have slowed the movie down and, um, you know, just messed up, like, the pacing. And, like, it's already over two hours long Mm -hmm. and I they keep everything tight and moving, which Mm -hmm. I really, so it's really engaging and you don't mind that it's over two hours long. But I think if they drag that out with, like, you know, Peggy and blah, 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 to me i would have felt like wasting my time
0: yeah maybe you're right and, and i do think we have we have kind of decried like the uh movement toward like just absurdly long uh, ostensibly summer blockbusters where you know it, it, i think star trek in the darkness was like 2 hours and 40 minutes long or something ridiculous like that oh god what's um. it? so yeah it's just i i do agree that it's nice that it's nice and snappy and gets things over with but i just could have used i just could use a little bit more there it doesn't have to be much just has to be a little bit to make that twist actually like worth it um did kind of disappoint me um okay but i i also hope that they've locked anthony mackie down for quite a while because he was pretty awesome Did you see him on fallon we'll talk about uh, fallon a little bit later in the show um no, i missed it he went on fallon and lit like He's like, show a clip from the movie and then like he like narrates it over the top. Like he just keeps talking even though they're showing the clip. Usually the people are like all quiet and they don't say anything, but he's like, Hey, that's me, that's me, that's me. (laughs) Boom, bitches and he's got like the wings and stuff and then like it cuts to cap and it's like, fast forward, this ain't me. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. There we go,
1: the (laughs) Falcon
0: He just Steve's really excited and pumped up and like happy to be working on this movie franchise, which is nice.
1: And it's I think we've talked about this before. Um about like the diversity in the Marvel Universe,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm really glad that they brought in Falcon, who is, um, I well known as like the first African American superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, like I, I was not uh, very familiar with him before this, but mm-hmm. it's I'm glad that they are reaching out to diversify. Yeah, it'd be universe. nice if they
0: gave these guys a, their own movie instead of just delegating them to. I just hope he doesn't become like a roadie character, where uh, like he just comes in like kind of to help out whenever he's needed, and then he like goes away and who uh, God knows what he's actually up to. Um, I think you know it's interesting because like um, the 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 problem with the Avengers universe is always that like you wonder, like, why don't they just call the other Avengers up, you know? Um, and I did not actually have that problem with this movie. I thought that there were a number of compelling reasons why Cap wouldn't have just called up any of the other people. Like, for one thing, the stakes were relatively small. I don't think that he ever felt like he couldn't handle it, and he needed Starker Banner around. Um, two, Nick Fury told him not to trust anybody, which I think he'd probably still trust Iron Man and, and Hulk, but, you know, who knows? He doesn't have a way to get in touch with Thor, um, so I'm not surprised that he didn't call any of those people up. What I do think is more difficult to believe is why doesn't he talk to any of the other side characters from the last film? Or what are they doing? Like, where is uh, what's War War Hammer? What's the name of the of Rody's, uh uh War Machine. War Machine. Like, where is War Machine? Where is Hawkeye? where is, like, <laughs> you know, like like not, not the big tier guys because those guys got their own shit to do, but there's all these second tier guys and I'm always confused about where they're supposed to be. I feel like the absence of War Machine has been like a really serious question in a lot of these films.
1: Well, um, I think, I think th- in this particular case, it's well handled to me in the sense that, like, this is a S.H.I.E.L.D. problem. And so like Captain America and then Black Widow mm-hmm. as shield agents are trying to sort of hold their organization together.
0: So where's Hawkeye?
1: I mean, I don't know, maybe he's doing another maybe he's deep undercover, I don't know. Yeah, who knows. But um so I like to me that was a strong reason why these other characters, Iron Man, Hulk—they're sort of outside because you don't want to bring them into this Shield problem. I th- like, well, yeah. maybe they—they they wanted to solve it within their own organization yeah. to try and keep it uh, together. And unfortunately, the movie ends with you know Shield basically dissolving.
0: Which actually feels much more Whedon-esque to me. Like, I thought one of the weirder things about the prior, about Avengers in particular, was that, like, and about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like, at least so f- so far, like, the five episodes or so that I've seen, is that, like, trust of bureaucratic organizations has never been something that is very strong in Joss Whedon's work. Like, quite the opposite. Like, almost every single one of his... Um, of his works features like a bureaucratic organization that you have to be distrustful of because they do horrible things to people um whether it's dollhouse or firefly or uh you know buffy or cabin in the woods or whatever um so i always felt like the example of shield as this like gleaming paragon of like righteousness and good was like a little bit weird And so I was kind of glad to see that exploded and like, nope, they're just like everybody else. Like they do like selfish, short-sighted things or they, you know, let themselves be (laughs) infiltrated by Hydra, which is, you know, like probably a pretty bad idea. Like the people are good, but the organization uh, is dangerous is like a a motto of Whedon's all along. So I am I I feel like that sets the stage really well for Avengers 2.
1: And I just want to come. I think part of your problem with Agent Shield is you just haven't, watched enough Haven't of seen this. Enough. Yeah, so that's because probably. a big part of it is um Colson's struggle to uncover um what happened to him and as he realizes like even his good friend Nick Fury is keeping like this huge secret oh interesting from him. And so a large part of the the middle of the season arc is him uncovering that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. secret okay i'll have to uh, what that does i'll
0: have to watch a little bit more then um but but i think this is a really exciting place for the series to be right now i agree i think it's really interesting i've been reading all over the place that this movie is going like gangbusters overseas including in china which i think is really fascinating for a movie about how america captain america the personification of america is really awesome and perfect um but I actually was reading a an article in Foreign Policy Magazine, of all places, um, that was talking about one of the reasons why Chinese audiences are so intrigued or interested in it is because we have, like, kind of the ideal of America fighting the reality of America, and it's oh. actually quite critical of America in its way by, you know, showing what can happen when you have unchecked power and, you know... Uh, so much influence into people's you know lives and, and information about people and stuff like that so it's just an interesting flip side where it's like yeah they like the movie because it features a really handsome guy named Captain America and America is awesome but they also kind of wish that they had the ability to make a movie that was so kind of critical of America too which is like you know it's not like the most critical movie of America ever but it's not also not like everything is perfect and shiny and the land on the hill or whatever Right, uh, just a really interesting dichotomy, like a, or or an interesting feeling, and and I do think that if this were just a movie about how amazing America is with no other subtext, like it's p- probable that it would not be doing so well overseas. Like I think there must be something more to it for people to have that kind of reaction to it because it's one of the one of the most uh, like popular in overseas markets according to the thing I was reading of all of the Marvel films so far
1: interesting Mm -hmm.
2: when I was your age they would say we could become cops or criminals what I'm saying is this when you're facing a loaded gun what's the difference this is not the regular police this is the state police
0: we are an elite unit this is who we're after Frank Costello
2: won't be paid as a regular cop, but there's a bonus involved. So, what do I do? You will not ever know the identity of undercover people. Do you have anyone in with Costello presently? Maybe. Do you know who I am? Maybe not. When I have my associates search you.
0: So, our uh, foreign remake today is uh, we watch the Hong Kong film Infernal Affairs and the American remake uh, by Martin Scorsese, The Departed um i've been really excited to watch this because infernal affairs is one of my favorite films of all time um i think that everything is perfect about it except the title which is horrible um but uh i I, be fair like the uh well the original title is much better much better um i'm interested to hear what your thoughts were on the way that the two films kind of interrelated Mm -hmm. and which one you preferred but i have i have definite opinions and 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 I feel personally like the Hong Kong film works works better at what it's trying to be, than the than the American version does. Although I think they're both quite good, um, but uh, I I just really think that the first film is or that the original film is is really fantastic. It's the story basically. In case you haven't seen either of the films, it's the story of um, kind of two mirror image uh moles one is a gangster who's been sent to be undercover in the police force in in the american film it's the like the massachusetts state police and in the hong kong film it's like the hong kong police force i think um and then the police force has sent a a mole an officer to be a mole in the um The criminal organizations, the the drug smuggling or or cartel organizations, um, uh, which are each headed by kind of a a big boss uh, guy, uh, what do you call it, mafioso guy. Um, And kind of each mole kind of, uh, when the police are kind of closing in on the criminal organization Uh, The pressure on these moles gets kind of like ratcheted up as they are each kind of tasked with um, attempting to keep their cover while sniffing the other one out. And it's very kind of a game of intrigue going on. Um, What were your thoughts on the the original film and and on the remake, Ryan?
1: Actually, I want to ask you first. Have you seen either of the uh, other two movies in the Infernal Affairs trilogy? No, I've heard they're very bad, so I
0: have tried not to sully my love of the first film by watching either of the second or third films.
1: That that's fair. Um I haven't seen them either, but um a lot of talk that I hear is just that like The Departed is less an adaptation of Infernal Affairs it is an adaptation of the trilogy as a whole.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: So I just thought I I want I was gonna ask about that, but we'll get we'll get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely agree that Infernal Affairs is um. I'm hesitant
0: to say a better film. It's just more successful at what it's trying to be. Yes, like I think that Infernal Affairs is like just about as good as a thriller film, like a like a like a short. Uh, simple but fun, like police thriller film can be. Whereas The Departed is like a middling Scorsese crime drama. You know what I mean? Like it's not as good as Goodfellas or, uh, you know, maybe even Casino or something like that. Like it's like it, it's if you're looking at where they rank, um, in terms of the highest, uh, the highest uh, you could you could get. I think that Infernal Affairs is a better representation of its genre than than the departed is
1: absolutely and um i said this about captain america and i'll say this about infernal affairs it's just infernal affairs is incredibly tight and Mm well-paced um it's it's less than two hours um it's like an hour and 30 an hour and 40 i forget Mm -hmm. but like it's non-stop action pretty much it's
0: incredibly tight like even when the film takes a break and kind of slows down and has a quieter scene like those quiet scenes turn out to be really important
1: yeah like Uh, i've you almost i almost feel like i can't catch my breath i agree um and like there are certain weaknesses to that um somewhat but um In contrast, The Departed tacks on almost like an extra hour to its running time.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Watching them in two consecutive nights, just like when I finished the first one, when I finished Infernal Affairs, and then when I finished uh, The Departed like an hour later in my (laughs) relative days, it's just like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But like, and The Departed does a lot of this sort of development, um, character development, that you don't really see in Infernal Affairs. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, the question is, is that important?
0: It really beefs up certain roles. Like, for example, a lot of the policemen are given much greater roles. Um, Like, the equivalent of the Alec Baldwin character in Infernal Affairs is much, much less of a a role. I barely... Barely. barely registers for me. <laughs> yeah. And also the, the Mark Wahlberg character is not even maybe even directly based on anyone from the original film. Um, and, and those are both people who work at the police station. And um, er- everyone at the police station is kind of colorfully coarse. Um, and I think those two have a lot of fun with their roles. Um, and they're fun to watch. But, yeah, again, everything about those two characters in particular is like not in the original um there's like a big enforcer guy played by Ray Winstone um, as French, uh, French oh, Inc, yeah. who is not really in the first one, and and just in general, you're right. It is uh, the second one is trying to be more of a character study. It's also like trying to be more of a uh, like a location study. I'm not sure what you call these, like where it's 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 trying to give like a portrait of South Boston in the ah no yeah in like the '90s it. Or, or, it, where like or two thousands um whereas infernal affairs is not really uh not Concerned really interested um
1: infernal infernal affairs is very focused i think on the plot as the movie like it is a character
0: driven um, drama like but 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 like i feel it's like it's much more not. focused on
1: the main two characters uh, but i i i don't even almost feel like it's not. I feel like the characters are in *Infernal Affairs* are relatively flat.
0: I I I kind of disagree a little bit, and maybe this is just because I like the film and I read more into the performances than than maybe I should. Um, Where like it's possible to confuse a good performance for good characterization. You know what I mean? Because you you read a lot into the way that the person reads things and 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 mm-hmm. responds to things. Um, but I I think that especially you know the the two main characters Lao and and Chen, um they or or Yan I, I think it was by Yan. Um, well, yeah. They yeah. Uh, they they they're more. I don't know. I don't know. I I think there's some, that they're pretty well sketched out, and they each are are kind of like again mirror images of each other, where like uh, Lao as as the Criminal who's been sent to work in the police unit um, is kind of like a either a bad person or at least a very uh uh morally troubled or, or morally uh uncertain person who's like almost kind of tricked into doing good things because he has to keep up this facade as a police officer whereas jan is like a fundamentally decent good person at his soul who um you know, it it has uh, has been forced to do all these bad things by his role, uh, and the guilty kind of feels over that, and the guilty other guy feels. I don't know. I I think there's a lot there, um, but m- maybe not quite as much as what you get from DiCaprio and, and Damon in the in the Departed.
1: I mean, I think part of it is like Infernal Affairs feels very much like. um a race of the two against each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas The Departed is much more a movie about each character struggling within themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If think, that makes sense. I
0: think that's probably pretty true. And, and I think that Infernal Affairs sets that up from the very beginning. Like, I think it's really important, even though it's like a little minor scene that you might wonder why it's in this kind of, again, like very breathless uh, film. But at the very beginning, um, just coincidentally, Lau happens to go into, a like, a record store where Yon works. and um,
1: oh, oh, he doesn't. doesn't work there.
0: Oh, he doesn't work there. You're right. He's just minding it. He's, like, watching it while the guy is out. Um, and they, like, listen to some music together and trade stereo tips and stuff like that. And, like when i've as i've watched the film like at first i wondered kind of like why is this scene even here like why bother introducing them to each other but like it is important to like both establish that these guys are kind of like each other like they're similar to one another they're interested in similar things and they you know they they're they're really like kind of two sides of the same coin right the the film is yeah it, it sets up that conflict it sets up like you know the, that the film is about the relationship between those two people. Whereas I, I'm not sure that there's... I can't remember now, but I don't think there's a similar scene in The Departed. Like, I don't think...
1: There really isn't. I
0: don't think Costigan meets Sullivan until, like, at the very end of the film when basically, and like, everything's revealed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not even the first time that those two had met in The Infernal Affairs. You also get a flashback where Lau is seen booking uh, Jan into evidence like have, taking his fingerprint and stuff like oh yeah <laughs> really kind of reinforcing that like these guys like they have uh, had a lot of contact in the past where i think you're right um the, the in the department the, they're much more separate and it's much more about their kind of internal struggles than their struggles like between each other
1: yeah you know like uh costigan is struggling you know even like getting to sleep at night he needs that valium prescription mm-hmm. or whatever Mm-hmm. And that whole thing. Um, I, I really think the departed was more like them struggling with their own identity mm-hmm. than infernal affairs was. which to be fair, infernal like sorry um, infernal affairs does sort of set that up mm-hmm. um, but they just I just don't think they, they press on it.
0: Well there's it it's not a lot of time as you mentioned things are moving pretty fast. Yeah. Although I will say that, so between uh, Lau, who is actually also played by a guy named Andy Lau, and then the director of the movie is also named Andrew Lau. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But Lau in Infernal Affairs, um, who who plays the mole in the police force, um, I found him to be actually a little bit more ambiguous of a character than uh, Sullivan, who's his counterpart in The Departed, who's played by Matt Damon. Mostly because Matt Damon is such a little shit in this movie like he is so smarmy and annoying. Like I never felt any sympathy for him this whole time. He's just really annoying, and I never got the sense that he was doing anything except except for like purely self-centered or self-motivated reasons. Um, and again, it's, it gets back to the you know, is it good characterization or just good acting? Like I'm really not sure. But I felt like there was a little bit more genuine struggle. In the Infernal Affairs version of this character, than in The Departed, where, again, I just from the beginning he seems like a douchebag, and he continues to be a douchebag all the way through the film.
1: Oh, I agree, and I think I think a a big part of that was, um, in The Departed they make uh, Nicholson's character uh, an FBI informant, mm-hmm. and for to me it it felt like the driving force where Matt Damon kills him is because of that
2: mm
0: Like he's worried that he's gonna reveal him to the
1: FBI. Yeah, you know, yeah. you hear him trying to like like did you rat him, whatever he says and he shoots him. And it seems like this weird sort of self preservation. Whereas in Infernal Affairs, um Lau sort of kills him more in a in a way to sort of I don't know, get out of this. Mm hmm sort of cycle
2: well I,
0: I think that the killing of the of the chief inspector in um infernal affairs has a much bigger effect on lao than the killing of the martin sheen character of queen doesn't does in the departed
1: they yeah. do a much better job in infernal affairs of having a uh, superintendent wong mm-hmm. um have a much stronger relationship with both of these yeah characters i think
0: i mean it is really sad to see martin sheen just because he's martin sheen you know crumple on the hood of a cab or whatever but uh yeah i mean the departed does do some things better like i I, you know they do really flesh out nicholson's character um
1: oh um yeah nichol it's interesting that um crap what's what's the triad boss's name in infernal affairs Sam. Yeah. Like it's really interesting at how different of characters mm-hmm. they are in the two movies. Like Sam is just very um, you know, calm and confident controlled. and controlled. Yeah, yeah. Throughout the entire thing. And then Nicholson is the exact opposite. He's, you know, vulgar and depraved and like hyper aggressive.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's it was a very interesting choice. And I don't know which worked better. Um, I will say that um, Sam as uh, this like confident, controlled uh, character. That the contrast when they're in the uh, police precinct and he's just eating that food,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then like there is the tension where they both know that there's a mole on the other side, and they're looking at each other, and he just flips out. <laughs> that is a great scene yeah um and obviously it wouldn't have the same impact in the departed because um the contrast and like there's no that would not be any sort of contrast in jack nicholson's character mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah i, I think it, the, the contrast is really interesting and i actually i do really love the way that eric Sang plays sam in in infernal effort he's a short dude man he's like five foot one he's the shortest guy on screen and they emphasize that a lot in a couple of different shots where like but he's like this little bulldog like he's got he's like he does kind of like strut around he's totally confident um until the very end when he's kind of like running around and everything's kind of falling out from underneath him and then uh, sang does a great job of making him look like very 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 vulnerable in that moment because he looks silly and he's not supposed to look silly because that's not who he is um but but then Nicholson is just such a loose cannon. Like uh, in in The Departed, um, Costello is just so he's terrifying because he's so he you you kind of don't know what he's gonna do. Unpredictable, yeah. Like there's no way that the gang leader in Infernal Affairs would have whipped out like a his like dick in the theater and like wagged it at the guy. Oh, God. like it's not in his nature um or like you know the the cocaine scene or when they shoot the guy on the beach and he's like hey he fell funny like that's just it's not it's a different level of depravity it's a different level of it's a different kind of 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 uh crime boss basically yeah um which you know I know that they based a lot of Costello's stuff on on Whitey Bulger um mm-hmm. a real a real gangster and, and maybe that's, maybe some of that stuff is at least a little bit accurate or, or drawn from real things, which, um, you know, again, goes back to the, a part of being very interested in the, you know, the setting, the scene, what it's, what it's like to be a, a Boston gangster or what, what it was like in this part of Boston and, and stuff like that. Um, in a way that, that the other film was not, um,
1: actually the whole, the whole weird, uh, sexual undertones in The Departed, I felt, were out of place, maybe.
2: Hmm.
0: Or, like, underdeveloped, maybe? Because he has, I mean, he has, like, a... Like, a... It's not his wife. It's, like, his, like, mistress, basically. Um, Who's, like, one of the two girls well, who has the... Uh right, go
1: ahead. I mean I mean Nicholson's thing aside, mm-hmm. like um, which is kinda weird, um, but sort of plays into the that like crazy uh anyway, um I really like I just thought the uh attention to um Damon's impotence or mm, that's right. Uh, that's right. Erectile for- dysfunction yeah. seemed like I don't know unnecessary.
0: Like a little armchair psychologist style. Yeah, yeah. Oh, in the in the Hong Kong film, the two female leads do seem a little bit shoehorned, um, especially the psych- the psychiatrist. And that that is one area where I feel like the the film does a the departed does a better job of like. You know, working, working her in there is like a an actual
1: I guess kind of figure for him. But I mean, I I could have done without the love triangle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree that like in Infernal Affairs, the uh, psychiatrist seemed kind of super. And, oh, and also the um, ex girlfriend mm-hmm. that um, he meets. For that brief second, where you're supposed to be like, "Oh, that's oh yeah his kid," like, but both of that, both of those, all of those, that stuff seemed kind of like, super yeah again superfluous. But. Uh,
0: I, I I disagree about the woman about the ex girlfriend that he meets. I actually think that's one of the most important moments in the film because like it's
1: right before his
0: like whole world gets destroyed basically because it's right before Wong dies, like the scene before Wong dies and i think that's a really kind of heartbreaking look like by implication totally by implication but like a really heartbreaking look at like what his life would have been like if he was not asked to do this particular job mm-hmm. you know because okay. like he you know he he he's not in a position where he he probably would have made like a really good father and stuff like that but now she doesn't even want to tell him was doesn't want to let him figure out i don't know i i thought that was a that's a perfect example of like a a a dramatic irony that that really worked where like we as the audience know and like feel sad because we understand that, that that's supposed to be his daughter. And he just kind of goes on his way and and never really figures it out.
1: Um. I would act actually, um, another thing I really like about infernal affairs is like, they don't spend any time on it really, Mm -hmm. but both of these guys have spent 10 years, Building up from the very start of the film to where it actually takes place, mm-hmm. which puts a lot of, um, and you can you can see that especially in uh, uh, Yang,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that it's really taking its toll. Whereas in The Departed, it's like I don't know, like a they spend way more time showing showing in the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. their lead up into. These various organizations but it, like in in the realm of the movie it's only like a year mm-hmm. and it seems too rushed maybe
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah i agree and, and i do think that you're right that like combining the character of the girlfriend and the psychiatrist like i can see why they did it like when they're looking at the script and they're like, you know, this woman is she's only in like a handful of scenes. Like, let's just they, you know, they're kind of similar people. Like, let's just combine them. But I, I do think that it creates this weird, like, love triangle that doesn't work very well. Or it's, it's not even really a love triangle because the two men never know about each other, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's like just, a,
1: It's like, what? Okay.
0: The woman's like caught in the middle, basically. That's it. The it, it is a hell of an opening sequence though for uh, the Departed. Like they do a really. A really I think that it's kind of an interesting contrast between the two films because the opening of Infernal Affairs is a little bit of a mess like there's like a title sequence where there's like these weird like statues and stuff and doesn't really have a lot to do with the whole rest of the film and then you know the, there's like a very 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 rushed intro set to this kind of like driving rock like chugga junk, 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 like music where they go through like that whole first part that the part it spends like 20 minutes on Um, yeah so if if there's a weak part of the film i think it's that opening sequence where they really try to cram you know a a lot of story into just about five minutes to to, you know get into where we have the two adults in their current roles as the moles um
1: i I don't mind that so much um i I
0: don't mind it either but i don't think it compares to that amazing intro set over the rolling stones with like uh that great uh, monologue by by Costello, great and, um, and horrible yeah. monologue by Costello.
1: And <laughs> actually, actually, um, I think the music in Infernal Affairs in general is kind of weak.
0: Yeah, it really is.
1: There, there are some really big missteps. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I mean, it's it has it has kind of a a uh, Asian action film tendency toward uh like overly cloying or or uh just like music that tells you exactly how you're supposed to be feeling
1: yeah okay yeah
0: i think it's interesting that martin scorsese has said that he does not consider infernal or the departed to be a remake because he said he didn't watch infernal affairs before he directed the film and he like he, he considers the script to be based on Infernal Affairs, but he doesn't consider the film to be a remake of Infernal Affairs. If that makes any sense. No. Yeah. That that's fair. It's because, fair. It's it it's interesting, but I do think it's fair.
1: Yeah. Well, because there's not a lot of uh, you don't see a lot of the same you know shots, for example. Mm-hmm. Things aren't framed the same way. it's it's a bit, and it's a very different feel.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You get a whole like. You get a whole different tone in each movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, and actually, one of the one of the in general, I really like um, Mark Wahlberg's character. Mm-hmm. He brings a certain like a certain levity to to the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really like just the existence of his character really ruins i think the tension in the final act
0: i actually think that his the final act of his character which is to shoot sullivan in the head
1: sorry not his his, not his final scene but like so in the the last part of the film Mm -hmm. you know uh uh what's his face costello is dead and supposedly costigan is going to get his life back Mm -hmm. um Until he realizes that uh, Sullivan is the mole. Mm -hmm. And then Sullivan erases his record. Yeah. And so in Infernal Affairs with uh, Superintendent Wong dead, like, there's really no one else.
0: Yeah, which, like, you would think, like, the entire police precinct did see this guy, like, hanging out there. But you're right, there's, like, no one else who has... It's like they've their their internal security is too good. Like <laughs> no one else knows um who the uh who the person could could possibly be.
1: Right. But like and but like just with um Dugan, is that his name? Dignum. Dignum, thank you. Um just with Dignum existing, like, this is another uh police officer that knows who uh mm-hmm. actually is. And so it's sort of Ruins just by him existing in this final part, even though he's you know off camera, mm-hmm. it ruins the 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 sort of dire tension. Yeah, when they're on the rooftop.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I mean he's resigned at that point, so he's no longer working for the police. But you'd think that if, you know, he heard from his old buddies back at the precinct like what was going on, he'd be like, wait a minute, I know exactly who that dude is. His name is you know Costigan.
1: Yeah, and also like it wouldn't like I feel like it wouldn't be that hard for um, him to also like like Costigan to like open up a phone book mm-hmm. and just be like, "Yo, someone deleted my record or something." Yeah,
0: yeah. I I actually think that that the the final act of Dignam's though, which is to in the final shot of The Departed, he shoots um, Sullivan in the head, and then you have this kind of shot of the Boston. It's like over out over like the Boston like capitol building or like the you know the Capitol of massachusetts i think and then like a rat like runs through the blood spatter or whatever like it's a great shot but i kind of feel like it kind of destroys what a, a nice thing about the original film which is that there's a little bit of emotional ambiguity in the end like you, st- you finish that film, and I don't know whether this is destroyed by the sequels, which is one of the reasons why I haven't seen the sequels, but you, you end that film not quite knowing whether Lau has acted entirely out of self-interest or whether he's got some moral component behind what he's doing. Because he's like, yes, he shoots Sam, which seems like a moral decision, except for the fact that he's really kind of chafing under Sam's thumb recently, and he's been asked to do a lot of things he's not very comfortable with and that have put his life and his career in a lot of danger. So there's an element of self-interest there. And, like, he seems like he's going to you know on the rooftop he has this like moment of like revelation or conversion where he makes the right decision and he's like i'll like basically like give you your life back although he's got a gun point at him so again yeah don't really know if it's like you know earned or not and then the other mole comes which also happens in the department. there's another mole who's this kind of like uh you know second tier officer who's been yeah. hanging around the whole time and the other mole comes and shoots the the guy and 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 so costigan slash Jan, the the gangster the policeman turned gangster is is now dead um and then lao shoots the other mole and like there's basically frames it as like a big shootout where both people died and he kind of is like the hero who survived yeah. the whole thing and so like again there's like an element of like is that just self-interest or is he actually you know angry at this other person or is he worried that the other person is going to like kind of force him to be like i i don't know there's a there's a really really nice ambiguity to the end of infernal affairs and so it was a little bit of a bummer for me that first of all you don't really get that in the departed because you never really believe that you never really believe that Matt Damon's character that Sullivan is acting out of anything other than pure self-interest, and then also at the same time he dies in the end anyway, so you don't have to deal right. with the. So it's just, it's just like, was the point? I know, you, you don't have to deal with the ambiguity that maybe this guy like was a mole for the police for years, never like really did anything to like redeem himself, and then just survived. And that that's it's really set up by his wife or his fiance in the first film, who's like through her fiction or through like metaphor even if it's a little clumsy she's like are kind of arguing for his soul you know she's yeah. like oh
1: my god that re- it really was clumsy <laughs> it's
0: clumsy but it's still powerful
1: it's a, yeah it's effective
0: yeah you know, like like she she's basically saying like be the guy who i want you to be basically like be the person i thought that i married or, or whatever um, and the film leaves you with like the very open question about whether he has in fact done that because he keeps he keeps doing things that that are objectively r- bad like when he relate when he erases jan's file that's like a bad thing to do like he has that's a moral failing um and it's come just a couple minutes after he's had his like kind of moral triumph of shooting sam so there's a really nice ambiguity to the end of the funeral F- affairs and i was bummed that you know everything
1: just kind of gets neatly resolved yeah.
0: in uh the departed
1: I did really like in The part there was, in that in that last um, scene with Cossian, and, like, um, Sullivan basically says, like, just, you know, shoot me, just, why don't you kill me? Mm-hmm. And DiCaprio says, like, um, I am.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in this sort of way, like, I'm killing you in the sense that you are staying alive and you're going to be suffering for all this thing. hmm Which is a really... Uh, not, like it's a, a nice idea. It's it reinforces that idea in Infernal Affairs, which was what do they call it? The unceasing path, mm-hmm. right? But then, uh, but then you know everyone just dies. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all it all it all goes to waste.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're being a little bit hard on The Departed, maybe, which, you know, I'm not sure. I, I like The Departed a lot. I think it's, you know, Scorsese is, as always, an incredible filmmaker. DiCaprio, Damon, um, Nicholson, Wahlberg, yes. Sheen, like, all of the acting is, like, fantastic down the line. Like, it's a well-made film. But, again, I just feel like it 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 is not, it is suffers by comparison to the original, and it's it's also not as effective for what it's trying to be. Like, regardless of whether it's like a greater work, like, I'm not, I, I don't think it is, but I think you could make the argument that it has like a more, that it's there's, a more important film.
1: Yeah, there's a certain, I mean, I, th- I think it's easier to see the depth in The mm-hmm. Departed. Mm hmm. Whereas it's, it's our, easy
0: to dismiss Infernal Affairs by just being like a, you know, like a breezy, official. mindless action film. Yeah.
1: Um. But, um, i think i think that depth like it makes the departed well it sort of meanders and it's it's a lot i think uh less engaging to watch yeah because of it yeah uh this has been pop
0: cultural osmosis um i think that's our show for this week um for next week, we are doing our first listener-suggested film, which is uh, uh, the f- American film Dinner for Schmucks with uh, Paul Rudd and uh, Steve Carell, um, and the original French film uh, Le Diner des Cons. I don't speak French. I don't know how to pronounce anything in French. That's probably really wrong. Um, but we're super excited to watch that. And that was suggested by Madeline, wasn't it? Uh, Joe. Joe. Okay, thanks. thanks to listener Joe for, for that suggestion. Uh, we're still taking suggestions for our second mystery film. Uh, we've got a couple good ones, but we're also having trouble tracking down some of the original uh, films, so we'll have to see you know, whether we can get there. Um, oh, what was that? My phone. Bumped. Oh. Uh, sorry. Anyway, you can follow us on Twitter, at PopCulturalOsmo. We're on Tumblr. We're uh, kind of all over the place. Um, see you next time.
2: See ya.
1: See you next week. Burp. <laughs> <laughs>